0: Shakespeare, a hundred percent, would not stop that countdown. Like Shakespeare is all about the the Red Forest. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys Rewatch Podcast. We, as always, will remind you this is a rewatch podcast, even though it says so right in the name. What that means is we're going to spoil early and often. If you haven't seen the whole series, time for you to dip out. Go finish it. It's amazing. Come back. Listen to us. We will love to have you then. Great. Anyway... I am beep, one of your co-hosts. I'm. You can find me on Twitter at beepsplain. I'm also working on a new website for us coming soon, so be prepared for that. And I am joined, as always, by the lovely Cece.
2: Hello. Um. Wait. Okay. I practiced it this time. You can find me at <laughs> a capital Chip <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> Bravo, bravo! Thanks. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> and this week, as last week, we are actually rejoined by our friend Aaron, literary professor extraordinaire. Hello, I'm Aaron. You can find me on
0: Twitter at reblogginghood. Uh, you can also find me on Tumblr at at reblogginghood for you know who will who knows how long <laughs> before everything but,
1: before it all explodes and
0: disappears. Um, and I'm also the co-host of a uh, hundred podcast, um, Metastation. You can find that at Metastation one zero zero on Twitter or uh, SoundCloud. And yeah, that's me.
2: And Erin, how do we apply for college credit for your literary? <laughs> Because I felt like we earned it last time. That was amazing. <laughs> Aww, thank you.
0: Uh, and we're gonna do it again. We're gonna do it again with Shakespeare today, right? Um, yes. Although I, I cannot promise that that the Shakespeare I can't promise will be at the same level because the thing is that I I teach Frankenstein a lot and I <laughs> I am not a Shakespeare person, so my like my Shakespeare abilities are somewhat lesser than my. Frank's, Frankenstein abilities, but I did discover this morning, which I did not remember, that I have a Shakespeare like action figure on my desk. So, <laughs> so he will maybe that have a is it. amazing. It's one of those things when you're an English professor, people just give you this shit. Like I don't even, I don't even like, I don't even really like Shakespeare all that much. Like I like Shakespeare, but I don't like love Shakespeare. But like when people know that you're an English major or an English professor, they're just like hey, I found a Shakespeare thing. Here you go. Or, like, I have, I have like, Jane Austen action figures. Like, anything having to do – I have Edgar Allan Poe socks, even though I don't even do, like, American literature. It's just, like, any author thing people just give you. So uh, what did Jane – What did Jane Austen action figures do? Like, trade, like, serious burns back and forth? I mean, like, <laughs> like yes. That would be her superpower. Would be, like, scathing, you know, like, passive-aggressive <laughs> insults. Um I think she has, she has, like, a writing desk. That's it. I think, like, her arms move. That's basically, that's basically the action. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds right. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think that's right. Like, Jane Austen is the kind of thing where, I mean, you'd be like, her superpower would be like, she would write something down and then you would feel, like, the cold knife of satire (laughs) in your gut.
2: (laughs) Actually, we have, we have, um... We have a Jane Austen reference in one of our episodes. That's right. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Can we please also back up and acknowledge that I called Aaron a literary professor as if that's a thing? I wasn't. I was going
0: to let that go. You know, it is. It's early in the morning. We're recording this at like eight o'clock in the morning. I guess it's like nine o'clock. But it's like it's early. It's fine. It's mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> All right. What 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 episodes are we discussing today? B. That's a great
1: question. Um, did- Today, for the 19th time, we are attempting to discuss uh, episode 108 has been on the, the docks for a hot minute. And we'll also be doing 109.
2: Uh, if you listened to last week and you were like, why did they entitle the episode Hair Frankenstein and then didn't get to the episode where they actually have that line? <laughs> uh, it's because we were a little overambitious and there's no way that we can do a podcast that is anywhere remotely near two hours and discuss three episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to limit it to two. Um, so today we're discussing 108 and 109. Um it, that uh is Yesterday, written by, and this is when I I get to do the thing where I feel like I'm the announcer at the Oscars, story by Oliver Grigsby and Natalie Scheides, <laughs> teleplay by Oliver Grigsby, uh directed by Michael Waxman. Um Oliver Grigsby also wrote Fatherland um and after, which are two of my personal favorites. Fatherland is the um Uh, Agent Gale, East Berlin caper, Mm -hmm. uh, Double Cross, and then after is the 1960s like loop-de-loop day. Um, And then we'll also be discussing Tomorrow, written by Rebecca Kirsch, who also wrote Cassandra Complex and directed by TJ Scott. And we just wanted to note all of the Chechnya scenes um, in the episodes we're talking about today, and as well as in the Keys, were filmed in Macedonia. So couple of episodes where they were on location and outside of the normal um toronto shooting location so i don't know if you guys did i apparently enjoy um i'm apparently a masochist and <laughs> <laughs> i watched
1: um i two think a, you're a sadomasochist because you did <laughs> try to inflict it on other people as well <laughs> uh, well i i'll break so
2: i would actually like recommending like like a wine pairing if you want to like amp up the feels on your season one rewatch um i watched in addition to these two episodes the final castro goodbye scene um from 411 where they say goodbye at the time machine because that takes you into cassie's like point of view when you then see the scene where she's dying at the cdc in tomorrow um and then i also went back one other really interesting rewatch thing to do is if you watch the um storyline about the core lacking enough power in 401 and 402 that's um the end in ouroboros it's a really it gives you some not only does it like amplify, like, the head desk of all of the core energy problems that are going on in Season 1 is because of what they do to the machine in Ouroboros of taking one of the atom cells out. So the whole, like, recurring problem of the the machine fritzing and not having enough power and needing to go to Project Spearhead was all caused by our heroes in what we (laughs) see in Season 4. But it's also just a great example of the show... Not only having, you know, fun with the like twisty, turny plot things that you can do with a time travel show, but using time travel to allow characters to observe themselves in the past and comment on their own motivations. So whether it's. Cole, like, if you watch Ouroboros, you get to see the time period between the flashbacks that we see in the episode we're talking about today, tomorrow, and the first splinter. You get to watch uh, Jones commenting on what her true motivations were in the episodes that we're watching today. Um, you get to see her scenes with Whitley um, and expressing gratitude for everything that Whitley did. It's just a really great... Um, you kind of get to do what the characters do. You're getting to, like, look back on what they were doing and what they think about themselves looking back, like, when they're actually looking at themselves um, in the past. So that was kind of fun to do. I
0: did not go back and watch 4.11, um, but I did watch, uh, like, half of Ouroboros, so I I got through the scene where um, Katarina talks to herself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, yeah, it was really, really fascinating. Um, And it was also kind of amazing just to, like – go straight from 109 to watching that because just seeing like how much the characters have changed over that time like cassie you know is just like so completely transformed by that point in the series and katarina too and so it was like it was like it was really really it was like a cool like sort of juxtaposition to do right right because you have you know This, these two episodes are
2: Jones having this very lofty debate, right? Mm -hmm. About like saving the many and. Um, saving civilization and art, and she calls
0: bullshit on herself
2: uh-huh. in the scene in Ouroboros. She's like, "Don't give me that." La-. Like, she actually is calling bullshit to yeah. herself. Like, <laughs> she, yeah. the
0: speech that you're giving them, like, I know you don't believe what you're saying, <laughs> right?
2: Right, and it goes to the blanket. Yeah. It's like, I know the things that you did in her name, mm-hmm. and a lot of the a lot of that is talking about what happens in these two episodes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then Ramsey calls back in Ouroboros to the save your soul discussion that he has with Cole mm-hmm. um, in these episodes. So it's yeah, it was really really fun, really fun to watch. Yeah, it. highly recommended. Um, yeah, the other quick like big picture thing about the titles of these two episodes, um, yesterday and tomorrow, um, I thought they were interesting just because of the structure of these two episodes involve. Characters in the same place, but at different times. Mm -hmm. So like actually doing yesterday, like the characters are actually yesterday and today, but in the same place. So Cassie and Cole in Chechnya um Cole and Ramsey at Project Splinter or then flashing back to them in 2043, Jones at Spearhead in 2043 or giving us the flashbacks of when she was there before and um during Foster's coup and the whole like big picture debate between so many of the characters whether it's Jones and Foster or Cole and Ramsey is which characters are focused on trying to restore the past and which ones are focused on maintaining The future. Mm -hmm. So just thematically, there's layers just to the titles of the episodes themselves. So just turning to 108 yesterday, first, we've got Cassie, sort of the Cassie in 2015. And although we don't realize it yet, Cole in 2017 plot going back and forth. And Cassie is definitely focused on needing closure. And at least my read on the episode. And sort of the way she was acting, it has as much to do with the the actual mission as it does to, like, needing to confirm that Cole is actually dead Mm -hmm. in order for her to move on. You had sort of the first time that we hear – um cassie mentions a couple times it's really sweet about different stories about her grandparents giving her books i think there's like an edgar Allan poe story in season three um but aaron gives her the copy of mansfield park and i was trying to think of like what is that because there's a heroine that like won't everybody's telling her one thing but she won't she won't give in
1: (laughs) and
0: and like accept the pressure and do
2: what other people want her to do that's all i can make of it
0: well, the other thing that I thought about was, like, one major component of the plot of Mansfield Park is the characters putting on, uh, like, a, a home theatrical, a, a play for themselves, you know, deciding to, like, do this this play, Lover's Vows. And, like, the sort of function of the play within the plot is that um, basically, like, rehearsing this play and pretending to be these characters and sort of taking on this... Um, this like supposed uh situation allow- enables them to to like basically like do things or or behave in ways kind of on the download that they otherwise wouldn't there's a sort of, so there's a kind of like two layers of like there's like what everybody is ostensibly doing what's ostensibly true and what's happening and then there's a kind of like what's happening underneath and the play gives a cover for it and so i was kind of thinking about like cuz like you know in in yesterday there's a kind of level of like there's what Cassie and Aaron think is happening what they think is true and real and then there's what's actually true so I don't know oh yeah yeah (laughs) that makes no that makes sense and I mean the whole
2: yeah I mean big picture when you step back and watch this plot I never would have thought at the time when I was initially watching it but the fact that everything keeps like that, nothing actually works to stop the plague mm-hmm. and nothing actually resets mm-hmm. should be a clue to us that there's some bigger
0: thing at work. Yeah, here. there's like some, there's some force beyond what, what is apparent. The other thing I was, well, I mean, Mansfield Park has a lot of like- really terrible parents, which is, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of shitty parents (laughs) also (laughs) in these episodes
2: (laughs) yeah and there's a lot of there's a lot of um Particularly, father son yes. pairs, yes. and looking at that. Yeah. So you've got Cole having his visions from what we will see in Paradox again of the witnessing the death or, or being present at the death of his father. Um, you have Whitley meeting his father, and then you have Ramsey and meeting his son, and then you have the reveal of Hannah and her daughter. So there's just, like, a lot of, you know, parent and child um, pairs throughout the episode. Yeah. Um, Were you guys – were you guys – I totally was. Were you guys fooled about that Cole was actually in 2017, and so when Cassie walks up and you think that she's going to be there when he's getting pulled up, and then you realize, oh, my God, they're in different years. Were you guys
0: tricked? First time, yeah, I was totally tricked. Although I noticed on rewatch very like subtle. It was, it was subtle enough that I didn't think about it at the time, but on rewatch it was completely obvious that the transition to coal um, underground, they did a kind of like transition, you know, like moving down through the, through the ground, but they didn't put up the card telling you what year it was. And I didn't notice that the first time, but the second time I was like, oh, like there it is. That's what's telling you. You know, like.
2: Yeah. And she's, and the woman's, the woman is, um, she wants to know why she's, she's cough, she wants to know why Cole is coughing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. You see, like, when you rewatch, you're like, oh, man, there were all these yeah, clues. Like, yeah. the fact that she has to, like, run and go get help, mm-hmm. but then when Cassie gets there, the military's right mm-hmm. there, so why would she have had to, why would it have taken all that time? So all the clues are there, but I was totally duped, and so I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, they're bringing him up, and she's right there, and know, I know. Oh, I, know. <laughs> I
1: was,
0: yeah, I was, like, a total gut punch, and then, like, the look on her face, I was like, they're seeing each other. Oh, no, they're not. <laughs>
1: No. (laughs) What I I like the biggest reason, though, for that on first watch is, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I just wasn't sold on the show yet, as far as the idea that it would be as complex and as connected as that's true. Yeah. So I didn't look for it. I was just like, oh, cool, a plot, a thing. Oh shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was definitely a kind of this was a moment. I think you're right in season one that was sort of like, oh, we're like we're working on a whole other level. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
2: it's a big gotcha. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, wow. Oh, you guys are not fucking around. (laughs) Um, The uh, the other thing that I like about it, and particularly at the end when you have sort of those contrasting images of Cassie with this, like, smile on her face and thinking that they did it, and then you've got Cole coming out and watching bodies being Mm -hmm. buried. The other function it serves is I feel like it grounds... The audience, you know, when we're at Spearhead, people are having these very kind of like esoteric discussions about um, the best way to save people and the 7 billion that are in the past. But it's it, it's a little bit more abstract. Whereas when you're from sitting there with, like in Cole's point of view and watching bodies being buried, it reminds you of what the stakes are. Yeah. Um, and it reminds you of like those 7 billion that died while – It's harder to keep that in mind when Foster and Jones are sitting in like a nice study in armchairs discussing it.
1: You still have the contrast, though, here specifically of the one versus seven billion, because Cassie goes to, you know, Chechnya to see if the erasure of one has saved the seven billion. Mm -hmm. And then Cole is seeing the seven billion because the one wasn't erased. Yeah,
0: I think it sort of like is driven home and really kind of like all comes together in the argument between... Cole and Ramsey at the end of 109, where it feels like it's, it's part of the reason I think that argument for me works so well is because, uh, you know, Ramsey has spent all this time at, 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 um, spearhead where everything is forward looking, where he has a son, where he's like, there's, there's all these like very sort of like concrete reasons why Ramsey would be thinking sort of forward. Um, but Cole, we know just came from living through, like the absolute hell of the the outbreak and the plague like Cole has now seen firsthand he's watched like the the terror and the and the horror and all the people who are like who are dead or going to die and so it totally makes sense that that for Cole you know like the 7 billion people that's no longer that number is no longer theoretical to him like those are People that have faces, you know, like he knows what the world looks like and he knows what it looks like as as it was dying. And so it completely makes sense that he would be like, I can't let go of that. Of course, like the other factor is like Cassie. So he has a one as well. But I think, you know, I think it's not that simple. I think that part of it is just like it really sort of, you know, had a huge impact on him to watch the world die and not just kind of like have it be sort of like, yeah, 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 that happened, whatever.
2: Yeah. Well, and everyone... I mean, just talking about that conversation at the end, and Ramsey calls Cole selfish. Mm-hmm. But everyone has, whether it's Jones or Cole or Ramsey, everyone has a principled, both a principled and a personal reason mm-hmm. for their like po- their point of view on what the like morally correct thing to do is. Yeah. So Jones wants to reset the world and save as many people as possible and restore civilization, but she also wants to save her daughter. Yeah, And Cole just saw all those bodies piling up and living through the horrors of it, but he also wants to save Cassie. Ramsey just saw, like, the rebuilding of civilization and all these new lives and children and new people, Like I mean, like, new relationships and all of that will be erased, and no one has any agency in deciding whether or not they want Mm -hmm. that, right? If Mm -hmm. they make that choice for them. But then he also has Sam. Mm -hmm. And so it's just that the debate is so grounded in what each character is experiencing that, yeah, when they finally have that big confrontation at the end of 109, you feel like you have lived through what got them to that point with them. Mm -hmm. And so it just like has such a big impact. Um, other than just, I think, you know, since we'll probably, we're probably going to give Aaron Marker a hard time in some future episodes, <laughs> I just want to acknowledge he's a pretty great boyfriend in this episode. He is. He
0: does <laughs> a good job. I mean, like I, you know, like telling her that she needs to go to Cheshire on her own, like this is her thing to see through. And
1: yeah, he does it. He does a good job. He does, he does, because he had not been on board for so long, obviously, and left her to kind of flounder on her own. Yeah. But when he found out it was real, he was, you know, he was in, and then now that it's over, he's not just like, okay, get over it, like, it's fine. You know, he's allowing her to to more so not only affirm that what they believe to be true is true, but also to kind of, like, go through her own grieving process. Mm -hmm. Right. About another dude, and he's not dumb. I mean, there's clearly something... You know, like Cole is more important to her than he should mm-hmm. be in theory. Yes. So, think, so, he, so, yeah, he's, he's being he's being a little bit, little bit selfless here. I'll give you that. Well, he's he's also doing it when he when he thinks Cole's dead. Yeah, it's a lot <laughs> easy to be generous sure.
0: about a guy who's been erased from history. I will say the other thing about Mansfield Park, the Mansfield Park bit that I think, um, you know, doesn't necessarily have anything to do or has like less to do with like Mansfield Park itself than just the kind of like the meaning of the gesture, which is that I think um it's a moment where Aaron is trying to pull Cassie back into the past versus the future. Like Cassie's mind is still thinking forward about like, did it work, you know, or is the plague still in the future? You know, she's worried about what's going to happen next. She's worried about like, um, about like the, what, what it would mean if Cole is still there. And so this gesture of like, Hey, I found this book, which had been sort of discarded and, you know, and, and it has a note from your grandmother, you know? So there's all these sort of things like he's trying to pull her backwards, like remember your grandmother, you know, like remember, also like remember us in the past. Like he wants to get back to what he and Cassie used to be, before all this happened, that's kind of like his ideal, I think. And so there is that kind of like, that sort of like past versus future, you know, yesterday versus tomorrow kind of tension, I think, playing out in that I think moment. he's
1: also trying to just ground her. Though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, definitely. She's been so involved and so wrapped up in this like lofty, crazy situation that now, in theory, that it's over has like nothing to do with the life that they have lived or are going to yeah, live. Yeah, that's true. So it's like, hey, hey, come back to me, like, in the present, back to the real world, mm-hmm. you know, you've been living this way for three years or for however long, you know, you you gotta, you have to find something important here. Yeah, yeah. mm mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so we're gonna move to the, um, Ramsey, Elena, and the big Sam reveal. Um, there's lots of reveals of, of kids. We've got like finding out about Hannah and finding out about Sam. Um, it, when you rewatch it, um, when Whitley and Ramsey are kind of, going back and forth with each other as they walk into um, the Spearhead, like, mansion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some great foreshadowing because Ramsey's commenting on, like, oh, well, like, I understood why your pops would want you to be here instead of in the yes. bunker. And there's, like, all these children running yes. around them. And you're like, oh, man, what a signal that we we're going to find out that Ramsey is a kid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. So it seems those things, like, I, I went, the first time through, I was like, okay, whatever. And then second time through, it's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> like so many things when we watch this show <laughs> um so we find elena and we've heard about elena from before with Ramsey and cole talking to each other and basically establishing that like elena was like the one um in Ramsey's life and we see by the end of the episode that he's obviously still in love with her um and then he finds out about that he has a son And one of the things that struck me with the conversation between Ramsey and Elena and discussing, you know, why she kind of left in the middle of the night um, because the West Seven were after him. And, when you know, when she found out she was pregnant, she didn't want to put her son at risk. And Ramsey says, you know, I could have I could have protected you. And it goes to something which is like so like this tragic, fundamental character trait in in Ramsey and like his desire to protect the people he loves but particularly Sam mm. that runs through season 2 all the way through season 3 when he finds Sam again and Olivia kind of delivers this like devastating blow of like she protected Sam when Ramsey couldn't mm. and this like recurring failure of the inability to protect his son or the people that he loves and You know, just uh, that whole conversation, it gets at something that is, like, such a core – I think it's something universal to, like, all parents, right? That, like, one of your greatest fears is that you're not able to protect your children, like, from the things that are out in the world. I mean, obviously for Ramsey, it's heightened in these, like, crazy circumstances, right? Like, he's trying to protect Sam from, you know – I think what's starting to pull at him here that Sam has this like cocoon um, in the middle of like a really harsh world or protect him from being erased or when he disappears and he's out like Ramsey doesn't know where he is. Um, And it just is such a really sad preview of what is going to be this like thread that runs through Ramsey's character arc. But I think it gets at something that's like even more central to being a parent and feeling like you can't keep the people that you're responsible for safe. Um, And the other, like, interesting line was, and Elena says, is who's going to be there, f- like, for Sam in the future? And you're like, oh,
0: fuck, <laughs> Olivia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she really uh, is so complex and layered. Like, there's so much more to Olivia than we give her mm-hmm. credit for a lot of the times. Oh, my gosh. She's, like,
2: one of the all-time, fr- I think, great TV antagonists. Oh, yeah. Because... I mean, so complex and God, I, sometimes I like question myself when I start to like get sucked in and feel like that she's making a good point or she's <laughs> I feel, like bad for her and I'm like, no, don't, don't go into that. <laughs> um, so this is, you know, this, these are basically the seeds of what will be the discord between It's sowing the seeds of what would be the discord between Ramsey and Project Splinter, but but really Ramsey and Cole is – he starts this episode like myopically focused on bringing Cole back. And you can see by the end of the episode when he's debating everyone else in Project Splinter that he's starting to feel torn because he's now torn between two people – you know, people that he loves. He's torn between his brother and he's torn between Elena and particularly Sam. Um, And it all kind of starts, those seeds start getting all sown in this episode. Um, The only thing that makes me feel better about how tragic Ramsey and Elena and Sam and all this is, is that um, when, it reminds you, like when Ramsey offers to teach Sam how to play Go, um, which we've talked about in previous podcasts in Atari, um, but we see... In the epilogue, in what we can either, depending on whether your soul is dead inside or not, <laughs> if, it's a, <laughs> if it's an epilogue where it's a reset reality, like the one we live in, where all sons are fated to their fathers, um, what Ramsay and Sam, once again, will be sitting at a table and playing Go, or which, I, I mean, then we presume that he found Elena in that um, – Reset timeline, and that's why he has Sam again, or this is Ramsey's Red Forest um, sitting at a table with his son and playing the game go. Um, and so this is the first conversation we see between him and his son playing that game.
1: Did you guys I say- think we need to stop pretending that's a thing?
2: <laughs> What's a thing? The Red Forest. <laughs> oh, I, <think laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm not pretending. <laughs> it worries me. It worries
1: me. No. <laughs> Choose your ending and then let's all stick with it.
0: It's like, no, nope, it's not a thing. Nope. <laughs> ignore ignore it. it. I mean, like, <laughs> if, if, I don't know, like, I, there's, uh, within the world They've sort of set up that um, That like love can't be erased Right you know so so if uh, Ramsey Really loved Elena Then like there's a way in which you might think That, that, that Like of course he found her You know in the reset world mm-hmm. Because the thread of that love still Existed and so it just kind of like Drew them together mm-hmm. That's how I like to think about it <laughs>
1: because <laughs> I have a soul. Um <laughs> It's kind of another tip of the hat from time to time. Yeah, you know, I think, I think so. Like, not not just giving Cole, you know, what he's owed. Yeah. Like, well,
2: yeah, Ramsey and Ramsey says at uh, right before Ramsey splinters away for the final time to go back to the Pine Barrens, he says, so this is my reward, you know, getting shot in the back. (laughs) So, you know, if you want to think of it as time rendering jet, like delivering judgment on everyone, Ramsey's reward is that he finds Elena again, and he has Sam. um, And he finally has back what he most wanted, you know, and that like what tortured him throughout the whole series.
0: It might not be a reward, but but a second chance, you know, because the like, in season – well, because watching Roboros last night, this is when we have the Cassie saying, you know, um, Luke is, you know, it's a second chance. Like, so it, it might just mm-hmm. also be time, you know, saying, like, all right, like, you get another crack at it. You know, you get another chance yeah. to not fuck this up. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I will say, like, I on the first watch, the Ramsey Elena, Sam – arc through here is one of the few things about season one that just did not land quite with me. Um I was a little bit like, I think it's just like, because like, I, I don't really like the trope of like, oh my god, I have a child I didn't know about. Like, it just feels like really contrived. And like this one is like less contrived than most because it does make sense why she would, you know, why she would feel like she had to um, leave a particularly dangerous situation when she's pregnant. And also this is a world in which it's like phones don't exist. So, you know, the problem of like why didn't she just pick up a phone and call is like, well, you know, she couldn't and she like literally could not find him. (laughs) So like, okay. But I think um, I think the first time through it was like a combination of Elena felt a little too underdeveloped to me. You know, like Uh, Yeah, I agree. She's she doesn't really have a personality other than like, I had a baby and we love each other, which like, you know, they don't they don't have that much time for it, which okay, that's it's like not a huge deal, but it was just like a little bit like it never you know, I think I think for a story that is supposed to run on, like, the idea is, like, this is such a humongous thing that it, it over the course of, like, a couple of days, it completely reverses Ramsey's loyalties. Like, that's the point of the story. And I think because mm-hmm. Elena as a character is, like, a little bit underwritten, um, that felt a little bit, like, it felt to me a little bit like... Am I supposed to buy that Ramsey, who would do like literally anything for Cole, you know, who's spent like his entire life for Cole with Cole, would like turn on a dime in a day on Cole because of this? Um, and then I think Sam, I, I guess maybe for me it's because I'm not a parent, you know, so like that.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say that. You know,
0: like I think if I was, I think I, you know, if I was a parent, probably, and I don't know, CC, you can comment on this but like to me also sort of like you find out you have a child and then like that undoes every lived experience you've had for 30 years with a person you know it's just like it felt was a little bit frustrating to me like this is a kind of start of like I love Ramsey so much um and it came back around again but I had a hard time with Ramsey in this in this sort of like arc of episodes in the second half of season one because of that because like that like that just it like didn't quite add up to me so
2: I actually this I I can speak to that and actually t- so Ram- if you th- if you think about it Ramsey finding out that he has Sam is now this like wonderful foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Cole in season three, right? Right. And and you even have a line. I think, is it late in season two where Ramsey says to Cole, like, you know, if you had a son, you'd understand. He
0: said if you had a family, uh, you'd understand. And then Cole says, I thought I, I thought you were my family. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember oh that brother. because that was like, I like had to, uh, I had to like pause and walk it off. I was like, oh God, Ramsey, what the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, so, yeah, I'm so glad. So you also pause and walk it oh, yeah. off. Because they were <laughs> – there's so many times we have to pause, and I walk it off. And My husband's like, "All right, are you good? Can we? Can we?" <laughs> so, but so the both ran. Okay, so the Ramsey and Sam plot line, and and then the Cole thinking he can kill his son, and then he sees his, and then he sees Ethan, mm-hmm. and says like, "I looked in his eyes." Yeah, yeah. It, it led to a really interesting discussion with my husband about it was kind of like this really interesting, like the difference between mothers and fathers. Mm. Um, and so like when, like, you know, for at least – and this is obviously all just like personal experience and like lots of people feel different ways when they have a kid. And so uh, this is totally like just our personal experience. So when when I was pregnant, it's real, really fucking fast, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's like <laughs> happening to your body. Um, and my husband was like, you know – the whole time that you're pregnant you like as the, as the like father you see it happening like like physical change in your wife but it doesn't like feel real like that's your kid mm. until that baby's born and you like look in those baby's eyes and then like it is it is done. Like, (laughs) it is over. And he's, like, you know, none of it felt real until that baby was there. And then I, like, look in this, like, newborn baby's eyes, and then it's just, like, I – it's, like, falling instant – for him, instantaneously in love. And, like, this is the most important thing in my life. And it is, like, a completely crazy, like – not – it's one of those things that's, like, one of those things in human experience that is I I find really difficult to articulate because it's crazy, (laughs) right? Like, you have a baby and then, like, that that day, at least for me and, like, with – for my husband, it's, like, just, like, oh, my God, this is now, like, the most important person in my life. And it's a crazy experience. And so for him watching both Ramsey meet Sam – and looking at his eyes, and in the episode, he's, he even comments on Sam's eyes. Like, he says to Elena, like, he has your mm-hmm. eyes. And Cole finding Ethan, it made total sense to my husband that that is, like, a transformative moment. Mm. And in making what you feel concrete, and it's no longer theoretical, and it becomes – now, that's – Obviously not, and we have a lot of shitty parents in the show, <laughs> and there's a lot of shitty parents in the real world. So I'm not trying to say that that's like a uni- – But for him, as a father watching, it landed for him in a way that made – It just led to like a really interesting discussion between the two of us of like when it became concrete and kind of this like overpowering experience for him. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't till his like child was there in front of him. So I, I do think it's one of those – And this is, and it's great, right? Because it's a debate we have in the real world that is also a debate the characters are having, right? Because no one's gonna understand when Ramsey makes the choices that he does to go and join the army of the 12 monkeys. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? That you would doom 7 billion people to die for your child. And Ramsay's like, but it's my child. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the debate we're having in the real world about it is, like, the same debate the characters are having. And it's, like, one of those, like, crossroads. Like, it has to do with emotion. Like, I don't think it's something that you can, like, intellectually understand. Because if you're going to do, like, if you're going to accept the one versus the many, then how could you sacrifice all of those people for one person? right? Mm -hmm. So, sorry, that's, like, a really, really long answer. No, 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 no.
0: I mean, it really helps, because it's one of those things where it's sort of, like, this, like, I sort of simultaneously watching it, I'm thinking, like, this, this, I don't understand, I don't really understand, you know, like, Ramsey's decision making, but then also at the same time, it's, like, but I know that I'm not a parent, and I know, I know, like, you know, I sort of intellectually, I know that, like, it's a completely different thing, and so, so it is helpful to kind of, like, to, like, have you know. Have a have the perspective of somebody who's been through it, and is like, nope, yep, that's a real thing. Like that happens.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> right. And it's, and yeah, if and you can a- acknowledge that as being true like, again from that intellectual standpoint. I think, like, I would back up Aaron in the sense that it doesn't necessarily land for me strictly because I cannot connect with mm. it. So I understand it. Like, I'm not. I'm not. Saying, you know, that doesn't make sense or, like, what a shortcut or whatever. It's just – if you have not had that experience, it's hard to, like, associate it with anything. But I think you're right. I I, I think it is extremely unique.
2: And it's sudden. And it's sudden, too, right? Like, this isn't, like, we want – the difference being when it comes to Ethan – We watch, we know Cole and Cassie. Mm -hmm. We watch them fall in Mm -hmm. love, right? We watch the moment where she tells him they're going to have a baby, right? We see that baby born. We see that baby taken away. We see like, so we're emotionally invested in that family and that child in a way that just introducing Elena and then losing her, like, two episodes later and – right? That, that it doesn't – I don't think maybe it, like, emotionally I lands – I think that's a huge – yeah, because a huge we're
1: not connected to Sam. Exactly. I think that's – right. We don't care. I mean, not to say, oh, we don't care, but, like, we have no investment in Sam whatsoever. I
0: think that's the thing for me. I think that's the difference. And I think, like, you know, I, I, I think you're totally right, Cece, about what you're saying about how, like, the, the kind of cool thing about this debate is, like, this is precisely – you know, like, depending on which side of this you're on, it, it kind of like shapes which characters in the show you're identifying with in this debate, which is kind of neat. It's like, it's not as though mm-hmm. the show is expecting you, like, this is the right way to feel about this, you know, like, those right, it's representing right. both sides, which is great. But, but I think you're totally right, Beep, that, that the issue, I think like this storyline could have landed completely differently, you know, if we had had more, time or some way to connect more with the characters that um, uh, that Ramsey is just kind of like apparently suddenly just sort of deciding that he's more loyal to than the ones that we know and already love. And like, I you know, this is one of those things where it's like. I, they only had, you know, what, 13 episodes? The, is that right? In the first season? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they had a limited run. And like, I completely acknowledge, like, I'm sure that the writers are like, yes, we would have loved that too. Like, we have a whole story about these two that would have been great to tell. And we couldn't because we only had so much time. So I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, in a perfect world. But I think, but but yeah, like, I think for me, you're totally right, Beep. The problem was, it's like, I didn't have... You know, I don't really know Elena. You know, and like Sam is just a kid, so it's like okay. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> uh. Well, it's hard to, I mean, can we please acknowledge it is difficult as a woman to see any character whose sole purpose was to have a baby and then go true. away? Yes, that is true. <laughs> and I, d- it's it is difficult. And that I mean, again, it's just it's it's more so a nitpick. There are definitely shows that have like you know, made that horrific. And again, back to all the same things, time frame, whatever. But I mean, it's just, I think it's a legitimate criticism, even if it's something that I feel like wasn't necessarily important enough to prioritize over other things to fix in this particular instance. Yes.
2: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess she could like, yeah. I mean, if the, I think sort of like the the, struck, the the challenge is if you want to, for Ramsey to take drastic action because he feels the full weight of responsibility for his child then having him be solely responsible for sam is what gives that the stakes that it has right um so i mean i guess the question is like could elena ha- could elena have stuck around
0: longer um yeah it's just maybe. an overall lack of development is, is really what it. i mean i think that's it for me like. too yeah. it would be less of a it would be less of a Like, I would have less of an issue with her, you know, sort of, like, the eventual arc of, like, Ramsey has to feel responsible for his child in order for this to work if it felt like Elena ever existed for anything other than to have a kid and die, you know? I mean, and she she doesn't really. And we don't really know anything about, like, I think even maybe, like, flashbacks to Ramsey and Elena being together five years earlier might have helped, you know what I mean? Like, give us some sense of, like... Who is this person and why does Ramsey love her? Um and you know and and I don't know. Anyway, so like I agree like I don't know that I would necessarily given the time that they had and what the the story that they wanted that they needed to tell in that time it's not it's not really that I you know like I get that they're the, the p- priorities that they had I think it's more just
2: in a perfect world, we would have loved more.
0: Well, because, in a perfect world, we no. would have loved more. I think it's a little bit more than that. It, it's definitely a perfect world that we would have loved more. But I do think there's like, I think there, there's a case to be made that um, uh, that on some level, the problem is with deciding that, okay, Ramsey has to be motivated to do X. And the way we're going to do that is to give him a woman to love who dies tragically. I mean, like, that's a story choice fundamentally that carries with it a whole bunch of, like, really unpleasant baggage. And so, like, mm-hmm. in a perfect world, I would say make a different choice about the story. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, given the sort of thematic stuff about parents and children and blah blah I don't actually know – I don't know how that would have worked. So, you know, whatever. It's, it's I think, one of – a very, very rare case. Like, there's, there's almost nothing on this show that – um like, there's so few like true missteps I feel like that they made in the story that this is like one of the few where I'm sort of like, all right, like I have some issues with this, but like in the scheme of things, you know, it's not like a deal breaker, obviously. Um, right. And, 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 and like, yeah, no,
2: I mean, I think, and it's something that's interesting because there was like a whole, with folks that are watching it now, there's like an interesting discussion about whether. You know the the choices that they made with Elena is like fridging a female character. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I I think overall and how the show treats female characters like it's it's like I think one of the most feminist shows on TV. So I'm like personally like okay, <laughs> you know, like I I don't know. Um, and also, I mean, you can argue that they, you know. I don't think you can say, it, but you know, Dr. Eklund <laughs> in season True. two. Yeah. You know, oh, he I love him. I know, but he basically brings out Jones's feelings and then they kill him okay, off. But here's and then the Jones <laughs> here's the difference with Eklund. Yeah. He decides yeah. to
0: die. He has agency yeah. in his own death. And uh We also did get to yeah. know him a bit. So, I mean, like kind of, but they do a better job. They give him more agency in his own In his fate. And they also give him more time. They give time to that relationship. Um, So, I mean, yeah.
1: I think my ultimate sticking point with Elena is that even upon her death, she doesn't really have any impact on the story in and of herself. That's a good point. Also, like, she... Because he's motivated by Sam, not Yeah, like, she dies and then he, like, practically never talks about her again.
0: It's just Mm -hmm. all about Sam. I mean... So I it's all it's all yeah they're all it's all fair points yeah. absolutely so, um yeah. rare okay. missteps <laughs> <laughs> um for the so,
1: non-parents, for the non-parents right? parents, i think that's yeah. what it boils down to yeah, yeah
2: i have like yeah for me i it totally like totally landed um and you know i understand the story choice that i don't even know how they would have explained that sam was ramsey's son if you don't have Elena there at some point to tell him, right? So there's just sort of all, you know, I mean, I I don't know, you would have had like Ramsey show up at Spearhead and then had a character be like, so remember that chick that you dated? Like, you know, so like I see like what they wanted to do and the, and the time they have to do it and the world that they have, like, I guess in
1: our world, as in the show, time is the enemy. They only had so much, and that (laughs) is
0: so true. (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah.
2: So, if we can move to um, Project Spearhead and the great Foster and Jones um, face off, Um, first of all, just like Xander Berkeley is just such a delight as. I guess he's an antagonist, although as they debate and by the end of these two episodes, we'll talk about, like, whose side would you be on? But he's just such a wonderful actor, and I just, like, delight in – um, Barbara Sakawa and Xander Berkeley's like scenes together. Like it kind of left me like even wanting more, and I'm so happy when he's back um, in lullaby. Um, but you know, in the night room, Joan sets up that, you know, there's nothing, she tells Ramsey there's nothing that she wouldn't do for this mission. And we're about to find out exactly what that means. Mm. <laughs> um and, you know, the flashbacks are great because they establish two things that. First of all, like Jones, Foster is driven by the loss of losing a loved one, that his wife succumbed to the plague. And, you know, they have the image of him carrying her body out to be buried. Um, How he, you know, his goal is different. So even when presented with the opportunity to perhaps bring her back, he doesn't he doesn't want the same thing in the end to, to redo the past, but he's also driven kind of maniacally by the loss of a loved one. It also foreshadows... Um, what Jones is gonna do. So, because of the death of his wife and the second strain, and the fact that the military leadership decided they were gonna abandon Project Spearhead, he leads a coup. And you have very graphic, like, shooting people, the blood spattered all over Jones's face. And it's just this, like, wonderful foreshadowing that, like, it's almost like its own loop that, um, Foster like took a hold of these resources by through violence, which is exactly what Jones is then gonna do to him. And it's interesting because it made me think, you know, you can argue that Foster and Jones have a more noble end than Deacon mm. in that they're trying to either cure the virus or reset the world so seven billion people didn't die. However, their means you know, and Deacon, on the other hand, is just basically like whatever I can get for myself because this is what the world is. Um, but there, well, me- he also
1: has no information, though. Right, right. I mean, yeah. Deacon's living in a different world than Jones and Foster.
2: But their means of securing resources through violence look pretty similar. So, like, yes. dis- right? So, like, despite the, but despite the like sophisticated trappings and like the white tablecloths and pouring the wine from like the decanter and everything that they do to make it seem civilized their means when push comes to shove is Here's using a violence. bullet in your head <laughs> right is violence and killing people and it's not that far removed. Maybe they don't delight in it um, as kind of Deacon and Atari. Well, you know, or maybe it troubles them a little bit more. But at the end of the day, when it comes to securing resources, whether it's food or power or the lab or whatever it is, people resort to violence and they kill people. Um, And I also just thought, like, when you think back to the episode Atari and you see the world that most of humanity is living in Mm post-plague, and then you get to see how, I guess, the 1% get to live in the post-apocalypse with, like, everyone is showered and clean and, like, you know, they have dinners, you know, with white tablecloths. And it's just, like, a very interesting – um, bubble that they're living in Um, and kind of some like I guess my mind just went to like some interesting social commentary on I guess some people will always be all right yeah. <laughs> no matter what yeah. is going on in the world it's a stark
1: right? ju- juxtaposition though between you know spearhead and splinter but yeah. as you're saying like regardless of your surroundings or your motivations or anything like very very quickly you resort to those like primal yeah. Um, ways of just like, let's just get this handled. I don't even have time to – Yeah. You know, I mean, they have the debate, but I feel like it's um, it's just a pretense, you know? Like, if you don't agree with me, I'm not <laughs> – like, I'm not backing down. Right, yeah. Right.
2: So before we get into Foster and Jones's debate, the one fun little thing is um, – in those flashbacks when Jones is explaining to Ramsay what happened at Spearhead, we see a glimpse of Jones entering um, Raritan for the first time. And now we know um, from the series finale that where she's walking through, like, with the flashlight and uncovers the, like, pro- like the splinter, like, the sign that she's about to meet Ethan. Mm. Um and we get that little glimpse in this episode, and now you're like, "Oh my god, she's walking into the facility for the first time." And when those other people walk away, Ethan's going to appear. Um, so it's kind of like a fun, like oh, I know what happens next now. Um, so let's get into the Foster and Jones debate, um, which on at first, at first, like watch before we see the reveal at the end of 109, seems like two scientists who each have faith or hope or however you want to express it in what their solution is. And you think that neither of them know really at the end of the day whether it's going to work, right? So there's like a lot of discussion about who's offering hope to their followers and who, like, Katerina's like, my solution's going to work. And Foster's like, no, mine is. And at least as a viewer, I was sitting back, like, it's my favorite moral dilemma In the entire series, (laughs) because I think that, like, the way they set up the problem, there's really great, like, even putting aside for the fact what we find out later, that Foster actually knows that his solution works, whereas Jones, it's still, like, she thinks it works, but she knows she can travel to the past, but she doesn't know whether that's ultimately going to reset things. That's still a matter of faith on her part. It's such a wonderful moral dilemma. Because on the one hand, you have Foster saying, no matter – even if you do reset the timeline and we save the 7 billion people that died because of the plague in 2015 slash 17, there still could be another virus, right? Mm-hmm. Like humanity can still succumb to a virus. And the vaccine we're working on can predict I, – I, am I drawing like the right conclusion that like basically he's saying. This terrible thing that happened, what huma- what humankind can learn from it is how to basically predict viral mutations and create a vaccine that, like, addresses viruses. Like, it cures humanity from ever having to die from, like, a plague again.
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think it's no. just this virus. That was my understanding. It was just this virus. Just this virus? Yeah. Because yeah. it the- just keeps mutating. So it's not like you would start with a different virus. Like, they didn't cu- – like they didn't cure the flu and every variation of that that's ever going to happen. It's just the just five ten. Yeah. So, but I mean, as far as they, the cola virus I mean, is out. Yeah. Yeah. It? yeah.
2: So even take okay. So even taking that distinction, I mean, what with none of them know is that the virus exists only because of this time loop. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. But if but if you take what they know, Fosters like even if we reset the timeline, how do we know the cola virus isn't going to pop up for some other like through some other circumstance, and then we're back to square one and 7 billion people die. But this solution will cure that virus no matter what time we're in. Um, And then the cost to that is that the 7 billion people who died stay dead. Mm -hmm. And everything, like the breakdown of civilization and society, that's the status quo and you have to rebuild. And then Jones, on the other hand, is like, but we can save the 7 billion people that died and restore the past and all of um, humanity's advances up into that point. But the cost is all of those children that we saw running around the facility. Um, and, you know, basically, like, Sam is like the – like symbol for the audience of all of those people who have built lives um, and made choices and formed relationships and built things. And like basically we've seen this like new mini civilization that has been created and all of that's going to be erased and they don't have any choice or agency in that decision. That's Jones making that choice for them. And so there's a human cost either side, like, right, like not as maybe like not as many people will die or be erased if you follow Jones's plan. But there's a cost on both sides. And there's, um, at least my view, like a legitimate positive outcome, whether you agree with Foster or whether you agree with Jones. So I was just curious on what y'all's thoughts were about that.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, it does kind of come down to like picking which theoretical set of human beings are – More important, you know, like, which is sort of, I mean, it's partly a matter of like, okay, what's, what's more important, like saving the most people or individual particular lives, kind of. Um, And they're both a little bit saying, you know, like, like Foster is saying, all of those, all those individual human beings who died in the plague, uh, you know, like their deaths are acceptable but for the people who have since been born to cease exist having existed ever that's not acceptable. You know, and Jones is kind of saying the opposite. And I think like I'm more I I'm more sympathetic to Jones's argument, but I I can't really put my finger on why, you know, and other than it might just be because like she <laughs> she's one of our protagonists, right? Like so I'm on like I know the whole story, I know her side, but yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's what's
2: interesting. One of the lines that stuck out to me is Foster says, I mean, that's like the, if you were, if you were like a philosopher and you were going to do like put up on a board, right? Like here's the moral, like the pros and the cons and the, and the few versus the many. On the other hand, another argument they're having is what Foster says is the past is the past. And it goes to something like that's fundamental that like all of like, what causes the whole problem in the entire series, right, Mm -hmm. is that this devastation to, like, the natural order and 7 billion people dying is that Jones wouldn't let let the past be the Mm -hmm. past. So that line to me, like, there's so many different levels. Like, you have their philosophical difference regarding what is the best moral outcome and pros and cons. You have their distinction between whether you should – have sort of like the Ubris to try and undo the past or whether you need to accept it and try and move on and make make it, you know, count for something, like he's trying to do, to say, okay, so then what we take away from this is that we can like stop the virus from mutating and killing future generations of people. But you also have what is underlying and what foster gets at is the personal, right? Like he knows he brings up when they're alone in the study and they both go at each other with that, with the person, mm-hmm. right? She brings the photograph of him with his wife and she brings it on the one hand as proof of time travel, um, that she got that photograph, um, using the time machine, but she also uses it to kind of get at his, like, pers- like his emotions to say, look, if you let me – if you let me have your core, if you let me do this, you can have your wife back, right? So she tries to like kind of like twist the knife into his personal – like his loss and where his pain is. And then he does the same to her where he calls her out, you know, what this is really about. Is you in that small like? What does he say? God, it's so terrible. And when she slaps him, I'm like so happy that um, she slaps. You're him. You're still in that, like, in that in that. Yeah, holding you're her dead little, dead little dead hand. Hands.
1: Yeah, right.
2: Oh, which then you're watching it and you're like, Oh my God, you know, when we get to season two and we're in lullaby, we're going to be in that room with her. Yeah. And she
1: didn't even die of the plague. Like, F Uh, you, Foster. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. But so they're, they're having this debate and they're poking each other. Right. And then she pokes at him because he's like this, you know, he, he is now. He, You know, when you first – when Ramsay first walks in, you know, he's saying a prayer and he's like wrapping himself up in religion and hope. And the whole reason why he's in the position that he is in is because he murdered
0: people, Mm -hmm. right?
2: Like, I mean, so there's just a whole bunch of hypocrisy there to him. And it's just – I love their scenes because they are just – there's so many layers to their debate, And the, like, philosophical and the personal and Jones wanting to, like, as we talked about with Frankenstein last podcast, like, reanimate dead Mm -hmm. things. And, you know, he has – we have thought about it after we recorded, but one of the things that's so interesting that he calls her out on is – you know, he's like – when she's like, we need to bring back this traveler. And he's like, well, which part of him, mm-hmm. right? Like torso, mm-hmm. arms. And it's like this wonderful imagery that's almost like the the reverse of Frankenstein. Instead of taking parts of dead people and putting them together, like Katerina's experiments, like tear people apart mm-hmm. and you end up like with body yeah. parts. Yeah. Um, But, you know, and then the interesting thing is when you rewatch it, you – you know, she gives him the photograph and he gives her the envelope and you realize that it's like basically like Chekhov's envelope, right? Like what's in there? And he actually – when you find out at the end of tomorrow that he gave her proof that his algorithm can cure the mutations, it's just – I mean, I watch these two episodes, and it it may be the moral decision what Jones does that I am the most uncomfortable with, like in the entire. Oh yeah,
0: series. I mean, I think there's no possible way that 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 wasn't just wrong. You know, like this is this is like the
1: Nadir for Jones to keep that information from yeah. everybody else. Yeah, it's I think that's what allow like them right. to make an informed yeah. decision. To, to exactly. yeah. yeah, yeah, because it's a legitimate.
2: It's totally like a legit. I I think like a. a when it comes to the debate about what the right course of action is—reset the past or move forward and cure the virus—it's a really, it's a really difficult debate. Yeah, and for sure. I don't. I think it probably depends on the day, like where I come out. Well, because
1: the issue is, no matter how much like credit you want to give these people for being, you know, brilliant scientists and able to um, accomplish all these things, and oh, look at them debating with their logic time and again. The Decisions that are made in this show are based on emotion. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep.
2: And I love that. I love that it acknowledges that these moral debates are not thought experiments, that we are all human beings that have emotion and certain outcomes make us feel better than Mm -hmm. others. Um, And that depends in part on our life experience um, and who we want to protect and who we love. And it constantly like just gets into that in these like really messy ways. But I do think the – the, the decision when you watch the end of this episode and you're watching Adler and Whitley and Ramsey debating whether it's possible, like whether, you know, which one is the false hope that that they can um, cure the virus despite mutations or that they can travel back and reset everything. If you notice, Ramsey goes, he walks over to, you know, like the big um, evidence board and he – the camera focuses on that picture of, like, the actual virus, like, from the microscope. And it's, like, this great reminder, like, when you think back to that moment and then you get to the end of tomorrow and Jones pulls out – like, she looks at Hannah's locket and then she looks at the proof that Foster gave her that unlike Jones, who's, who's hoping that she has the solution, believes she has a solution, but doesn't actually know, he does know, like, that he actually can cure the virus, it reminds you that the whole time that they're debating at the end of that episode and the beginning of tomorrow when Jones is saying Foster's lying and he's giving everyone false hope, she's the
1: one that's fucking lying
0: to everyone. What she says he's doing is exactly what she's doing.
1: Yeah. I would say this in Joan, not even necessarily in Joan's defense, just to look at it in a broader scale. I I think she was right when she indicated that, you know, he, he did cure the last mutation. So while he has shown, like, the evidence that this can be done, he's not done with it yet. It's not like, yay, it's all done. And I think that between the two of them, they are so staunch in their beliefs that they have some degree of neglecting that the other person may have valid points at all. Oh, for sure. Not really that, Because they- I don't think yeah. that Foster believes, What I don't think he's making a decision of like which one we should do. I think he's more so making a decision of like I have hope and a promise and I don't know what the hell you're doing over there but there's no way it's going to work and... Jones feels the same way.
2: Oh, absolutely. Like, when Ramsey says, this this is – like, I don't have anything to say because this is a dick measuring contest and a lot of people are going to die, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people's lives at stake. Either way. It absolutely – On a a whole other level, in addition to everything we talked about, is a matter of two enormous egos colliding. And I do think that, like, I I mean, in
0: in Jones's defense, I do – I don't think that she thinks, like, oh, yeah, he cured the virus and, like, if I just let this go forward, then everything would be fine. Like, I think she's still, like, genuinely skeptical that his – "Quote unquote cure will work," like so. She is working from I think from the belief that he's wrong. She just can't prove it, and the evidence. Right. So the decision
1: good. that she made on one hand, yes, like I do agree that it's wrong not to provide people that information. Yes. But on another hand, be- given how how much she believes it, she's protecting them from muddying the waters of like their right restaurant. and and like I mean, in that in that
0: sense foster's doing the same thing because it's not like he tells his people like hey they've invented time travel we can go back and like undo everything let's mm-hmm. put it to a exactly. democratic that's vote. true like he doesn't he doesn't you know allow anyone in among his people to know that either like he also is like right. whatever this is bullshit we're not doing that um yeah
1: We have a couple of dictators. Yeah, exactly. Pun intended. Well,
2: and you know, (laughs) not even. Yeah, I mean, not even just dictators. It is uh, people we elect do that too. Oh yeah, yeah. So you know, it's like a fascinating. I you know I think maybe on first watch this felt like more of going you know kind of a. Not not an unwelcomed because I love these two episodes and they had just phenomenal acting. But it felt a little bit like a detour from like the main like prevent the plague. Mm-hmm. But like when you go back and watch it, these two episodes are just like a really fascinating meditation on what leaders the the, the tools med- leaders use to inspire hope and convince people, but also the truths that they withhold mm-hmm. to motivate people to get them to do what they mm-hmm. want. And you're absolutely right. They both do that. Like, I think, I think Jones. I mean, yeah, Foster doesn't tell them about. I mean, I guess we don't have a scene. Like, Foster may say that this is bullshit, but I don't feel like we have. We we don't have the same kind of like um, mirror image scene where Foster is telling people she said that she brought this. You know, I guess he expresses skepticism to the photograph. Um, where he's like, whatever, you just went back and made a copy about this. But that scene where Jones. Is actively telling the people that sh- that follow her that he's lying. And the mm-hmm. reason why he's lying is to get the people that follow him to do what he wants them to do when she's doing exactly the yeah. same thing. It makes me, like, want to throw something. It's really something. upsetting. It's- On
0: the <laughs> other hand, like, she has the debate. He doesn't even have – like, he doesn't even let his people know anything is happening at all. They don't even know that there's an alternative. Mm-hmm. You know, so – Right. Uh, and, and, like, some of that you might say, like, this This was – a military installation, you know, like, he clearly doesn't believe that his people have any voice at all, you know, like, he just decides what's happening. But I think, like, the interesting thing for both of them, for me, like, watching, you know, especially rewatching it, um, there's an interesting sort of, like, going back to what you were saying, Cece, about how, you know, the, the truth about Foster for all of his sort of, like, piousness is that this society that he's built was built on the bodies of the people who he murdered. In order to, you know, like that basically, like there was a, there was, in the past, there was a debate, there was a split, a similar thing. There was one group of people who thought that it was best to leave this place, take these resources, go someplace else. And then there was Foster who wanted to stay there with these resources and keep searching for a cure. And rather than letting the debate, you know, chips fall where they may, letting sort of like the, the most persuasive or the best argument win and then going along with it, he decided to kill people in order to get his way, you know? So like the reason that this kind of like quasi utopian space even exists is because Foster made that choice. Um But I think of stay of or, stay or die. die. Yeah, exactly. And so, but I think like the, the interesting thing there is that not that that in any way um, mitigates or excuses the choices that Jones makes because her choices are totally independent of that. You know what I mean? Like two, this is a very two wrongs so don't make a right kind of white thing. But I think the interesting thing is that you, what you have is sort of, in addition, you have these two egos, you have these two leaders, these two, in many ways, these two true believers, you know, these two sort of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like she accuses him of leading a cult, but she kind of is as well. Um, that you have two people who are promising a utopia, that is based on a kind of like original crime. You know what I mean? Like both of these sort of promised lands are predicated on having done something truly, truly terrible and potentially unforgivable, you know, to get there. And like for Mm -hmm. Jones, I think the interesting thing is, I think that what makes Jones's position so complicated, especially in the kind of context of the full series is that I mean, in some ways, like, Jones doesn't know for sure that this, th- this is going to work. But on the other hand, Jones does know that sh- that she will get this core, that she will continue traveling mm-hmm. because she knows, you know, like, because she remembers Cole coming to her, or, like, Cole in 2015. Like, she knows things that will have already happened. Whatever. Like, right. verb tenses are weird when you're talking about travel. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> um, so, like, so to some extent, like... Uh, you know, she, she knows what she's going to do because she knows she's already done it. But also, like, that very fact, like, that is the crime that drove time insane. Like, she knows Foster will never ever find a cure and continue living this life forever. And we know that now because this is a loop that only exists because time travel exists, because Cole exists. And so, like, right. there's this kind of, like, original, crime that has to be redressed and nothing else can solve it. But I think like that's interestingly in a, in a, in a kind of microcosm level in a very different way. It's true of foster as well. Like that cure would not exist. Like that cure only exists because you, there's a virus because there's a virus (laughs) because of the blood that was shed to hang on to that institution Mm -hmm. because of like, God only knows what kind of blood they had to shed to get all those computers. Um, and then also like, you know, to go back to your talking about CC in terms of, I think there's something significant also to think about in terms of like remembering that he keeps talking about, we have a future, we have a future there are all these children there, we've built the society, we've built this cure, we can cure this, this, this virus forever. Um, but his vision for this civilization is so limited like i don't think he's not he's he's not going out into the world and helping scavs you know like it's still mm-hmm. very 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 tiny tiny little insular world like he's only thinking about saving these people not all of humanity not even the all of humanity that still exists living in the world in 2043 you know like they're still rounding Mm -hmm. up scavs and you know imprisoning them and whatever um so so i think that too just in terms of his kind of pretenses to you know whatever uh, to to being the true hope for humanity, it's like, okay, but like a very, very limited vision of humanity.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it is like, I mean, this is jumping into their scenes in the next episode, but it is such a mind fuck when Jones tells Foster, I will have your core. The only thing undecided is whether you will give it to me or I will take it. Like, It isn't just tough talk like you think Mm -hmm. it is when you're first watching it. Jones knows, Mm -hmm. right? Like exactly for the – exactly like what you said that because she knows that she's going to see Cole in 2015. She knows he's going to call her again um, in season two from the Emerson Hotel. So she knows one way or another what the outcome is. um, But just like the the means of how she's going to secure it is – I guess, what is left to his free will. Yeah. Is he going to give it to her? Or is she going to have to murder him? I,
0: you know, I was thinking um, about, as I was rewatching these episodes last night, you know, it's really fascinating to me the way that, Jones like season one 2043 Jones talks about fate and especially it was striking when mm-hmm. I was rewatching Ouroboros because it's a very different Jones and I think they all have a very different relationship to time and the idea of fate but like the way that she talks about fate and especially as continually through these episodes like in the flashbacks in Tomorrow you know she keeps her she she makes these appeals to fate to sort of like drive home like no mm-hmm. we have to do this because it's fate and the, the thing that struck me this time I feel like when Joan, when this Jones talks about fate, she's talking about herself in this weird way that's very similar to when Olivia talks about the word of the witness. Olivia says we can- we have to do this or we can't do that because the witness said so, and the witness is her. Like her actions mm-hmm. in the moment are dictated <laughs> mm-hmm. by a future version of hers actions that have told her what's going to happen. And Jones is doing the same thing when she says it's fate. I know it's fate. It's because. Because she – it's because it's her. It's because she, the other versions of her have done things that she feels like she has to follow. So it's like this weird sort of self-fulfilling mm-hmm. loop. But that was like a total mindfuck. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. No, that's such a good point.
1: And then when that you want – It also brings up the quandary of fate as a means to absolution. Yeah. hmm because mm-hmm. if you have to do it then, then oh well i don't how have a responsibility right, really it absolves yeah, exactly, you
0: yeah exactly exactly but if fate was yeah. always you a different maybe a different version of you but if if the quote unquote fate that absolves you of that choice is just a different of you from a different time having made another choice then it's not it doesn't absolve you at all you know then you're just sort of like offloading
1: oh no i don't think it does i'm just saying i think that's the way that oh, yeah, they for use sure. it to some yeah, extent yeah no she yeah? she
0: definitely yeah. is during this during this i mean like i think it definitely changed like by the end when everybody has a better understanding of how this all works like that definitely changes but this jones is for sure using that to as a, as an out
2: right and when you watch when you watch the scenes in um both the end and ouroboros like in the end cole when when they're basically like everyone's feeling like there's nowhere to like they can't move forward and cole is like like remember what you did at spearhead like, how can you say that we're going to give up, like, when you did this before, yeah. right? Like, and the cost. Yeah,
1: um, and yeah then look at the bodies that have piled right, around and us that, in the, yeah. within the context of this mission.
2: But also, I mean, the Jones in season one, like, this Jones is spearhead looking at fate as both something that constrains her and absolves mm-hmm. her at the same mm-hmm. time, um, in Ouroboros – she when she's watching herself from this time period that's when she comes to this realization of like we are just stuck in this loop mm-hmm. mm. um of continuing to make these kinds of decisions like how do we break out of mm-hmm. this um and it's so it's so interesting when you think about her character development in season 1 that's a jones that both draws like kind of like a certitude and like you know inspiration like I know that this happened before so that I know I can do this. And the loop is actually, you know, like, gives her confidence, like, to move yeah. forward. And then at the end, it's what she's trying to be like, how do we break out yeah. of this, yeah. right? And she's not trying to break out of it, right, in season one. Like, she's using it to say, okay, one way or another, I know I'm going to get what I yeah. want. Um, yeah, it's just fascinating. Like,
1: I'm on the right path regardless yeah. of the cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So, just jumping to the next episode, why don't we just why don't we continue with the Foster and Jones final confrontation, um, and then we can talk about the other plot lines in the episode. Um, Foster offers um, Jones a compromise of he'll let her use his. Um, I for, I forget what the like actual like machinery is, but in order to retrieve coal, but then she has to abandon the project and join him. And she, um, to say the least, rejects that compromise. And (laughs) we find them in the final confrontation um, in his study. And they have another, I think it's another really great scene um, where they're having a debate and the debate is happening at two levels. And it's almost like Foster doesn't realize it. Um, And the reason why I say that is because on rewatch, the thing I noticed is when they're remembering a time when I guess they were living together underground at some point um, and Hannah was still alive, um, Jones tells a story about how she and Hannah used to go out at night um, look up at the stars, um, and there's kind of this beautiful imagery of the stars are there um, looking down on us no matter what suffering is going down on Earth below, which is kind of like in, like just kind of really beautiful imagery and thinking about time. But she says that um, Jones and Hannah are looking up at the constellations Cassiopeia and Andromeda. And Cassiopeia and Andromeda are a mother and daughter from Greek myth. So there's a flag sort of early on in this debate that they're having, which on the one level, which we'll get to in a moment, is a very lofty debate about man and the things that humans create and whether they have life after we die, and quoting Shakespeare. But she's signaling at the beginning of the conversation a much more personal motivation of her daughter and that she's a mother. And it's the thing that she's going to say to Foster – Right before she kills him, you know, that she is a mother. And I just thought it was interesting because Cassiopeia and Andromeda, Cassiopeia is a queen who I feel like the gods are always pissed off because somebody thinks one is more beautiful than the other. But like, (laughs) (laughs) for like, Cassiopeia pisses off the gods and then thinks that there's a great (laughs) flood and she thinks. She and her husband are convinced that the way that they can save everyone is she has to sacrifice her daughter. Um, and then that leads to Andromeda being chained to a rock and Andromeda being saved by Perseus. And if you were like a little kid who watched like Harry Hamlin's Clash of the Titans, <laughs> which I used to love, that you watched <laughs> that, like all of that like unfold in that movie. Um, but I thought that that was interesting. And I may be going down just like a myth rabbit hole, but. It's a story of a mother's Ubris, and then a demand that your daughter be sacrificed um, to make up for that. And it just reminded me of the discussion we were having on our last podcast when we were talking about how the sacrifice the time demands of Jones is, you know, if not Hannah's like actual life, it's giving up time with her daughter. And the mm-hmm. constellation that they're looking up on of Cassiopeia is the shape of a chair, um, which is Cassiopeia's punishment, <laughs> um, is being strapped to a chair. <laughs> and totally, like, I'm totally, like, going just out, like, spiraling. But it's just interesting imagery, thinking about this the image of the chair in the time machine in the show. Um, and it's just kind of, like, a fun That's what they were looking up at together, a mother and daughter. It's image of a chair and how important that chair is like as a symbol in the show, like as part of the time machine. So I just thought there was like an interesting flag in that kind of already like a hint at the beginning of that conversation that as much as Foster thinks that they're having a discussion that is about these like loftier ideals, the point that it's going to come down to is that Jones is a mother and she's not going Mm -hmm. to do what he says because that would mean losing Hannah. So the other um, level to their conversation is quoting Shakespeare's sonnet 19, yet do thy worst old time. Despite thy wrong, my love shall in my verse ever live young. So I was wondering if Dr. Aaron could tell us a little bit about <laughs> that sonnet, if
0: people want to start taking notes at home for their college credit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I don't really – yeah, like what it, I don't, I don't know. So uh, this is one of the the golden boy sonnets, which um, I think the first like I don't remember how many, but like the first part of of Shakespeare's sonnet cycle are, are all dedicated to the golden boy, and they're all kind of around the same theme. So in Shakespeare's sonnets, there's like two sort of beloveds that he speaks to or addresses um, in different sets of sonnets, and one of them is the golden boy, who is this um, like the young perfect beautiful uh beloved who um who the the like the ones like this one that are sort of about like you're so perfect i will preserve you in time um that's the golden boy and then the other one is the dark lady who's called the dark lady both because uh the relationship that the speaker has with her is a lot darker like that's the one where he's sort of complaining about cruelty and stuff like that um but then also because she's described as being sort of like like having dark hair and, and, uh, less pale skin. (laughs) Um, so this is a golden boy sonnet. And I think the interesting thing is like the, again, like there's a whole sequence of sonnets that are all kind of about basically like, you know, like you are so, you're so perfect and you're so beautiful in this moment, you know, that, that, um, I will, I want to, I want to preserve you. I want to halt time. I want to sort of like, keep this moment preserved forever so that you can't be touched or can't be changed. Um, There's another one, I think, might be the first one, I don't remember. But anyway, there's another one that's basically sort of like there's a whole other sort of sub theme in the Golden Boy Sonnets that's about, you know, like you need to get married and have babies so you can make copies of yourself. (laughs) uh because you're like too perfect not to reproduce basically um yeah uh so so this is this is one of the ones that's about time but i think like to me you know obviously the the sort of theme about like time being uh an antagonist or a predator or you know something that's gonna come and and sort of comes to degrade or to steal from you and Shakespeare trying to fight back by preserving the, this moment, like this person in this moment and trying to hang on to that moment forever is obviously like resonates a lot with this show. You know, there's a kind of like, I think- Shakespeare 100% would not stop that countdown. Like, Shakespeare is all about the, the Red Forest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> in some ways, you know, like, the sonnets, like, you know, the argument that he makes over and over again is that his his sonnets are his are his Red Forests, like the, that writing is the way that he's going to halt time, that he's going to like take this moment and pull it out of the stream of time and keep it kind of like preserved exactly as it is forever. But I think the interesting thing to me about this sonnet in this context, like on another level, and particularly the, the lines that they quote, which is the final couplet, um, yet do thy worst old time, despite thy wrong, my love shall in my verse for uh, ever live young, is that Ultimately, I think the thing – there's, like, two things that preserve this golden boy um, that, that, like, we have immortalized whoever this person is. Like, we don't know who it is. Like, in some ways, it the immortalizing this person sort of failed because we don't know, like – we don't know his name. You don't know who he was. We don't know, you know, like – we know that a person maybe existed that Shakespeare is speaking to, although maybe it's just, like, a theoretical whatever. Like, maybe it's just, like, an idea. But – um but like, there's two things that preserve this person or give this person immortality. And one of them is writing, you know, and, and the sort of like, one of the subtexts of all of these sonnets and arguably of all of Shakespeare's sonnets period is, I'm the best writer. I'm the greatest writer ever to exist or whoever will exist. And therefore by writing this, like, it will be preserved forever because I'm the greatest. Um, and, but the, on the other hand, like, the other reason that this person is immortalized forever is because, the speaker of the sonnet loved them. And I think that's the other piece that I think is really like, kind of resonates with the show. And I think that maybe is like the most, to me in some ways is almost more important than the time aspect. And the idea of like time as being the antagonist is this idea that like, you know, whatever time does, whatever time takes away, um, my love shall ever live young. You know, so the that idea that like, that comes back over and over and again in the show. That like you know, death can happen or be undone, but love is forever. Love is the thing that persists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I think that that's really that that to me is kind of like ultimately the maybe the most important thing about this quote is that idea that like really it's love. Love is the thing that confers permanence or immortality. But what the interesting thing
2: about that is that now when you rewatch Foster. Is he, Foster is the one saying, but we remember, right? And it's in the Mm -hmm. remembering that you live on. And Jones is in this moment, almost it reminds me of Shaw's point of view later on that Mm -hmm. she is maniacally focused on undoing it and getting the person that she loves back. And the memories and the fact that she loved Hannah is not enough,
0: right? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think, like, in this moment, Foster's the one who who is able to kind of, like, accept that more theoretical level of immortality versus Jones, who's like, nope, I just want to, like, have the actual life back. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, like, here's the other, I don't know, like, there's something, I think, there's There's something else there, though, where, like, because, because Jones, you know, obviously she's focused on Hannah, but on another level, she's also saying, like, there are seven billion lives that were wiped out, you know, like, and that, and that, like, those lives matter. And if we can get those lives back, then that's, then what those lives represent is more than the sum of the seven billion, you know, that that is culture, that that is, that is, uh, everything that matters, you know, like every everything that human beings that can create. And even all those memories that they have that have been erased can be brought back. And his point is like, well, there, were, there still exists some people in the world, who, you know, we have some books and we can read them. And so, like, therefore, nothing is gone. But I don't know. Like, on the other hand, it's sort of like, you know, like every single individual person who dies, their memories go with them, you know? So, like... Just because you have books left, that doesn't replace the people who are gone. Right. And only – I and, think that's kind of the- – Yeah.
2: And only those people that are – right? Like, we're not all immortalized in books. And so when the people who remember you yeah. die, then what's left? Right? Like
0: yeah. – Yeah. There's that saying. I don't remember. I don't know who – I don't I do know where it came from. I don't remember, like, the attribution, but um, – like the, the time when you really die is when the last person speaks your name or something like the last time someone speaks your name. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So, so I think there's a kind of way in which um Jones is sort of making a point about, um, about like the collective memory and experiences of living people have some kind of inherent value that, can't be reproduced by, like, well, you know, I'm one person who has a book of Shakespeare's sonnets, so therefore, like, whatever. We don't need civilization. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Now, if we move... um, Do you guys have anything else about that comfort? I mean, what I find interesting is Jones is pretty freaking stone cold when she kills Foster. Um, And part of it is because she believes it's all going to be reset, right? So she's basically like, mm-hmm. you know, goodbye for now. Um, but she is certainly more shaken, I thought, when she then walks around and sees, and you have the voiceover of cutting back and forth where she's talking to Cole in the past about, we will do things and, you know, it's good that people will never know the things that we've done. Um, Mm -hmm. and you see it is, you know, they go to great lengths to show us like the violence and the blood and the human cost to basically Jones doing what Foster did before, um, and taking spearhead by violence. And it's interesting because they're having this like lofty conversation in the study. And then you contrast that with like Whitley losing his father, um, in those Mm -hmm. scenes and at the end of the episode jones being like you know it will matter what what Mm -hmm. you sacrifice today um and you know just this whole idea of you know ultimately we think that like a thesis of the show is that time does sit in judgment of what these characters did so with jones saying like people won't know what we did but they still will right like at the end of this whole Mm -hmm. series that jones who's playing cards with Elliot and with Hannah or watching them play cards, like she still knows what she did at Spearhead. And, you know, however you want to interpret that time was sitting in judgment of what they did, this whole idea of like the moral choices you make. And then when there's a reset that they still happened, I just find like so interesting, like that the show plays with that all four seasons. Yeah. Um, and so the wit also, Oh, go ahead.
0: Can we pour one out for Lasky? No. <laughs> I Man. was so happy when he came I back, know. when he was back in the, um, you know, in the reset in season two. I was like, "Ah, oh, last game. I, know. I <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> so I have a question um, really quickly about the end.
2: So we talked about sort of the reveal at the end of the episode where Jones looks at her lo- locket and there's the baby picture of Hannah. And she takes out the two um, pictures of, of the two different viruses and they were both cured. So here's my question. Adler – walks over and hands her that file, and then Jones opens it and looks at it. Do you guys think Adler knew that Foster had found a cure for the mutation as well?
0: No, because doesn't she pull a piece of paper out of her pocket? Is that – Like, she – Yeah, she replaced – she, like, mocked – she, she like, falsified documents and replaced them in the file, I thought. And then she, like, pulls the original out of the – out of her pocket, and that's the thing that she burns, I think. Okay. Okay, okay.
2: I don't know why. Like the yeah, last time, so
0: maybe it, I was watching it too late.
2: <laughs> but like when we were watching, yeah, it, it yeah. seemed like
0: like this moment when Adler handed her the file. But yeah, yeah. No, no. Adler read the fault. Adler read the fake documents. Got it, man. Yeah, ah, yeah. Jones. Yeah. Like she even went to the extent of like falsifying documents. <laughs> like oh, Jones. Oh, To totally.
2: Adler. Like, somehow when people are I screwing know. over Adler, it makes me, like, particularly uh. – <laughs> He's like, oh. Yeah. And, you know, the other interesting thing is we will find out later that Adler also lost a child because of the plague. Yes. Um, yeah. And his kind of reaction when Jones gets her daughter back and he hasn't yet. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just so many just, like, circles of parents and children and parents and children, like, throughout this show.
1: Um, He's besties with Lasky in the end. I don't know why that makes me happy, but <laughs> I know it makes me. It makes me happy too. Although still incredibly <laughs> frustrated
2: by
0: him. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but in a way where you feel like he would miss being frustrated by Lasky mm-hmm. if he didn't have Lasky to be frustrated by. You know, like, this
2: absolutely, is... absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, uh, Do you guys have anything else about Jones and Foster? Nope. nope.
2: All right, so we are on 109. So the next um, plot line is the, the, since, you know, the episode title is Yesterday and Tomorrow, and they're playing with like flashbacks, and that we have flashbacks to 2041 when Cole and Ramsey, after leaving the West 7 and before ending up at Project Splinter. Um, and you know, it cracks me up because Cole is like such a little brother when they're like going through the woods. <laughs> like, he's like, he really, oh is. my God, I'm cold, I'm hungry, and like, da da. And Ramsey's like, all right, take my gloves. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> 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 watching all of it, it like reminds me of like going on a hike with my kids. And the younger one is like complaining. Um, but <laughs> what I like, like, kind of like the feels attack, um, In this conversation is Ramsey talking about how he and Cole should end up in Florida, like, where it's warm and there's hot chicks and bathing suits. And Cole mentions, again, just to, like, um, twist the knife that he saw it in a picture of a magazine once and it looked nice. (laughs) Um, I think it's interesting, again, and we talked about this last time, about how they're talking about Florida as, like, this ideal – uh, that means a lot of things about where they're gonna end up and sort of the the shift in this episode is at the beginning of the episode and, and maybe it's because Ramsey like can see that Cole's kind of like at a in a trough um and he's trying to like encourage him to keep going and he's like you know we're we're gonna end up in Florida so we're gonna end up and the episode closes you know with these in these flashbacks with Ramsey being like look we're never gonna end up in Florida so like what you need mm-hmm. to do is you need to save your soul um and you know, ultimately, I think it's the story of Cole doing that. Um, but I, it's also interesting. Like we heard when we talked to Shantreta, the original conception of Cole getting this idea of the keys as paradise was a sort of like a vignette. A story of the way Cole and Ramsey met as young boys um, and Ramsey having a backpack with like magazines in it um, and talking about Florida. So it seems like it still kind of like worked its way in a different form um, with Ramsey and Cole talking. And I loved, you know, again, uh, James Cole's Brilliant, quote unquote, plan is to have the two of them rush six armed men um, in the woods. <laughs> and what Whitley calls um, later, which just made me laugh out loud, a general lieutenant of two men. But what's <laughs> so great about it is that's the fucking series finale is when they need to rush yep. a whole group of people. <laughs> it's the two of them is like an army of two men. And it just made me like, just grin <laughs> like watching that whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, but eventually it is going to be two of them fucking taking on Titan <laughs> in a car. To I've had the time of my life. Um, so we get to, I guess this is actually like what we think in the pilot. The first time we have Jones and Cole talking this The actual true first meeting between Jones and Cole is in these flashbacks where Jones says, your name is Cole. I've been waiting for you. And a, in a few – like we think at the time it's because of the recording and Cassie saying the name Cole. Um, but what we will find out in Paradox is it's because Jones has already met him. So mm-hmm. um, it's just like these – like uh, it's like all of these conversations are like an onion that you can just like keep unpeeling. <laughs> um, so I don't know about you guys, but um, – and maybe it's because to prepare for the Cassie dying at the CDC scene, I had watched the like final goodbye where we get the full recording. But it is such a uh, – so fascinating and a gut punch to now – When you have the scene of Ramsey, Cole, and Jones listening to the incomplete recording, Mm -hmm. and you know what's missing. (laughs) It's just like (laughs) – So in this scene, you hear the complete – like you hear from beginning to end the incomplete recording. And then you have Cole say, so what? Some chick said my name. <laughs> and you know that you know that gif of Kristen Bell, who like laughing, and then she starts crying. Like that uh-huh. was me watching that because it's so <laughs> funny that he's like, so what? Like some chick like said my name. And then you're like, oh, my God, but she's telling you that, like, she still remembers you, despite the fact, like, oh, my God, right? Like, ah, <laughs> uh, so it's just, uh, I don't know if they knew what was in that recording when they wrote it, but, like, watching Cole be like, so what? Like, what's the big deal? And knowing that everything is in that recording, including that, like, how she feel, Ah, uh, it's just a lot um <laughs> so there's a lot of like fun dialogue with jones like cole's like well how do you know like cole's like how do you know it's me and jones is just like i know uh, i do <laughs> like i just know and because
0: <laughs> i met you when you were a child except for you were right adult. <laughs> um so you just have
2: another great moment. It's, it, it's funny to me how this scene when Jones shows him the time machine and, you know, like the music swells and you have the machine all lit up and Jones is giving this, like, whole, um, like, this is our salvation and you are the key, which, you know, he is.
0: But, um, <laughs> and there will
2: be a price and all of these, like, reminders. But what I love is at the end of that, Cole is just basically like, yeah, Nope. <laughs> um. So, I think it's, like, really interesting, like, where these flashbacks end up is that Ramsey basically takes away, in some ways, Cole's agency. And when Cole is trying mm-hmm. to get away, he fires the gun to get Cole caught and basically is forcing him into a position where, like, his choice is he can stay locked up, which I guess, does that mean that, like, Cole and Ramsey were locked up for two years Like, for a while, like, because this is 2041, he doesn't Splinter until 2043, so they're at Project Splinter for, like, one and a half to two years before the first Splinter. I
0: I assume that as soon as he is like, yeah, okay, I'll do your thing, then they don't lock him up. Because the pilot,
2: in the pilot, he's locked up again. So... He was trying to escape. Ramsey gets him caught. And he does get, at some point, I don't know when, but he does get thrown in a, in a cell again. Because that's how the pilot opens up.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I assume at some point, as soon as it's sort of clear that he's like, yeah, okay, whatever, I'm on board. Yeah. Because we know that, like, they, they, they send him to the CDC, you know, so at some point they're, like, more or less allowed to move around. Yeah. So
2: the interesting thing is that you have this flashback scene where Cole doesn't want to do the mission. And Ramsey is, like, forcing him into the position where he has to um, because Ramsey's concerned about, like, his friend and sort of, like, morally, like, his soul, emotionally, like, where he's at. And then the episode concludes with this confrontation between the two of them where Ramsey wants him to stop the mission and Cole is like, no. Um, yeah. And it's just like the juxtaposition of those two scenes is just so good. And you're just like, oh like, oh my God, wh- where are these characters came from and how Cole even got involved in this mission and then the things that have happened to them along the way and that they're now at this like crossroads that really isn't going to get revol- like, resolved until the series finale. <laughs>
0: Like yeah, yeah, you know, know, right? So it's just, uh, there's just a lot. And I think like it's a really, you know, like that that juxtaposition of um of Ramsey sort of like basically making the decision for Cole that he's going to do this thing, and then trying again at the end to make that decision again and be like, no, you're done. Um, I think it kind of like nicely foreshadows in a in a in an indirect way, like the eventual reveal that the reason that all of this stuff has been happening the way it has in the first place is because Ramsey mm-hmm. is the Traveler, you know? And, like, he's, like, he's, like, making – he's cluing in the 12 Monkeys, you know, like, the reason things have go- gone wrong, the reason all this stuff is kind of, like, happening the way it goes down is because of – because he's out there making these decisions um unbeknownst to them. But I think it's also, like, interesting in the way that, like – you like, Ramsey just seeks like, – the Early in the season, he seems like such a kind of like, he's almost like the morality pet trope, you know, like, he's always the one who is like making the moral argument against pragmatism. And he seems like so kind of like, oh, good, you know, like, pure, wonderful Ramsey. And now sort of like, okay, like Ramsey's, you know, sort of like, fundamental, you know, his like signature flaw is that he decides he knows what's right. Mm-hmm. And he tries to like, basically make it so that other people can't argue with him. You know, like he tries to like kind of by fiat be like, no, this is right. We're doing this, even if it contradicts what he had believed before. And so I think it's interesting that that turns out to be this like hu- a driver of events in a way that we hadn't seen before. Yeah,
1: because yeah, it's not the thing that drives him. It's it's that trait that drives him. So like exactly. just like you said, even yes. if it's contradictory, like one minute he's doing that and the next minute doing that. And it doesn't matter because it's, he's right.
0: Right. Yes, because he has this kind of, like, this, like, absolute certainty, this, like, moral certainty, which on the one hand, it can be, like, in in the case of, like, Ramsey versus Deacon is, like, very, you know, there's a kind of, like, there seems to be this very clear black and white, and and Ramsey is the one who's kind of holding on to, like, okay, but some things are wrong, but in another context, that very kind of absolute certainty and unwillingness to bend can turn out to be very sinister. Yeah.
1: (laughs) it's both both relative and absolute based on his vision and thought process yes
2: exactly exactly and on the other hand when you watch um uh, yes and but the way i mean both in season three when cole says you know i just killed the only conscience that i ever had and then you watch um ouroboros and he has that like soul-crushing conversation where it's Ramsey from the past and Cole from the future. And Cole is thinking back on all the things that he has done, including killing Ramsey. And he's asking mm-hmm. him – like, he's basically having this, like, soul-searching moment of, like, how do we forgive ourselves for the things that we've done? And Ramsey is like, what does he say? Like, there's no good and there's no bad. It's just, like, what you did in the moment. Um, and it's just – Like, that scene and thinking about, like, their conflict now um, and then where they end up, where they're just, like, back to being two brothers who have both lost everything and are both either because they died in the woods or about to be erased or going to lose everything. And, like, Mm -hmm. that's how they finally reconcile. (laughs) Um, It's just, you know, like – and the constant thread both in Ouroboros and in their final conversation is, like, in the end, we did the right thing right? Like, yeah. um, the way they're just constantly grappling, like, their friendship, so much of it, you know, it, it's, you know, their brothers and Ramsey kind of like taking Cole in and creating a family when they didn't have any. But so much of it also is grappling with how to be, like, it may sound simplistic, but like, good men in mm-hmm. in the world that they're in, which it's just like, I don't know. Like I just really,
1: it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's Cece's go-to. Yeah, it's <laughs> a
0: lot.
2: <laughs> I just, you know, it gets to a point where the feels just take over, and I run out of words.
0: Um, <laughs> all right, are, are we are we ready to go to the, to the CDC in twenty seventeen? I feel like we're we're building. We've already got you in your fields,
2: yeah. so we might as well just
1: keep <laughs> riding the fields. All right, nobody look away from this train. The <laughs> wreck <laughs> is coming. Ah, so um, so I like I love that we get
2: a chance to see the plague in its like full chaos and the world devolving and like reminding us of why these characters are doing everything that they're doing. Um, and on rewatch it's really like when Cole is walking down the alley in Chechnya and people are watching Cassie on ENN. (laughs) Um, And you think that there's two reasons why that now sticks out to me in a way that it didn't. Um, First of all, because I don't think I like really caught everything that was going on in that episode the first time. But second, just after you watch Ouroboros again. Um, So you have Cole walking by that record, that, um, the television, and you think that he's just like drawn in because he's like, oh my God, it's Cassie on TV. But the thing that's really fun now is that now we know that before Cole splintered for the first time, he used to watch videos of Cassie so much that he had memorized what she said. (laughs) <laughs> like so, in Ouroboros, mm-hmm. when Cassie is watching from the doorway, Cole watching her on TV, he's like mouthing the things that she's saying. Like, and so he he has watched her. He probably has seen that record that um, video recording like before, and now he's seeing it like live on TV. But also, like the video that we see in Ouroboros, I think when Cassie says, um, "We need you come to Baltimore." Is that now like the when we see the video in Ouroboros and she turns to the camera and she says, Cassie, like we're in a loop, but a loop is another chance. And she's talking to herself in the future. Is she talking? Like that's a message to Cole to get to Baltimore, right? Yeah. Because then the, yeah. the things that unfold then are soldiers at the checkpoint looking for his West 7 tattoo, like a uh, scar. And then the soldiers waiting in the car to get him there. And then we find out that – let me see if I can get this straight. Cole – Cole told – before the final splinter when they're, like, at the end of the series, Cole tells Cassie where to find him in Chechnya so she can give him a piece of paper with Jones's address, which then he can give back to her in 2015 (laughs) so she can find Jones to save him in Paradox. Correct. Okay. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Well, man, I don't know. It wasn't obvious to me. I'm just
1: <laughs> <laughs> Such a minor and simplistic plot
0: point. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> All right, so we we got that right. And yeah, and she's saying, you know, come to Baltimore. Uh, I, I my understanding was because she is she knows that he's going to turn up in Chechnya, and so like that's her sort of setting up to get him there. Yeah.
2: Um. What I what. What I think is, like, the genius about this scene with Cassie at the CDC is that we were – it is the first scene in the pilot. What is this corpse with the watch at the CDC, right? And it's the first, Mm -hmm. like, mystery that the show gives us at the beginning of the show. And then we get to episode nine and they show us what happened leading up to that, like, corpse on the ground, the skeleton on the ground. But they do it in a way that gives us answers, that gives us so many new questions, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> so, like we, we find out uh, the answers to a bunch of things that we have been wondering since the pilot, but now we have like a whole other set of huge questions because this Cassie is the Cassie with the white streak that – when Terry Metallus was on the pod a couple weeks ago, confirmed like maybe some of the details didn't play out the same way, but this is this Cassie with the white streak is the Cassie that knows the end game and knows that Cole has to be erased. So mm-hmm. when you go back and you the last wa-
1: one she's ever gonna be.
2: Oh no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Boom. Damn it. How dare you? She just lies in
2: wait. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> um. So when you see – when you watch, like, the scene of them saying goodbye in the series finale – And then you watch this scene and you have – he walks in and Cassie's like, welcome back. And you have this hug and she's just like clutching him. Like this is a Cassie who believes that this is the last time she's ever going to see Cole, that he's going to be erased, that she's not going to remember him, and Mm -hmm. that she can't tell him any of it. So it's, like, mm-hmm. taking the scene in the keys that was, like, painful of, like, a goodbye where you can't tell the full story and just, like, amping it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. times 10, right? Like, um, And it's interesting because the other thing that Terry McAuliffe said was we can take her line of asking Cole if he found the Red Forest as either she is, like, Uh, you know kind of delusional because she's like dying right and she's like at death's door or she's asking Cole like a more like deeper existential question (laughs) that goes to like the center of like the whole question that we have like at the finale
1: um which is interesting because he's not that Cole yeah right so to me that points more to the delusion yeah he wouldn't know any of that uh, Cole doesn't even know about the Red Forest yet. Besides, you know he's had like weird. No, he hasn't even had like at all. Well, he had a he had a he did have a vision of the Red Forest when in, in Atari when um,
2: Deacon put that poultice on him, but he doesn't know, right? Oh, like, that's right, right, right. Yeah, he's yeah.
1: but he's completely unaware of, of right. what it is or what it means, right? Um, it's just
2: so. This scene is just so. Fucking tragic. <laughs> I just can't, like... And the thing also is that when she's like, I don't want to die alone, and he's like, I'm here, it just made me think of that final splinter scene where Cole yeah. has to do it alone. Oh, God. Um, yeah. You know? And it's just, like... And it's, it's devastating for Cassie in that moment because, you know, obviously, like, this is the last time that she's... Like, what is so... I mean... Cole thinks that they're in a he he ends this scene like next to her body, like sobbing and coming back and, and, and because no matter he thinks, no matter what he does, the loop he can't get out of is that Cassie dies. Hmm. And what Cassie knows as she's dying
0: in his arms
2: is that that's not that's not the inevitable conclusion. She thinks the inevitable conclusion is she's gonna get to live her life, but he's going to be erased. So when you go back and – it's just like (laughs) one of you just – Why do you do this to
1: yourself?
2: Well, I love love going back and watching it because I think this is one of those scenes that like when you go back and watch it and you realize the end is just one of the things that like elevates the show above most of television. Right? Mm -hmm. This was a scene in season one and there were so many Which could have meant nothing.
1: Right. Yeah. It could have just been like, oh, look, we went back in time again. Let's go fix that. It could have yeah. been that simple. Right.
2: And we're not going to find out why she has that white streak until we get to demons. Right? Like, it's just – so that's why I do it to myself.
0: I will say watching Ouroboros um, right after watching this episode, especially because Ouroboros opens with the same sequence, you know, from the pilot where they're going to the – uh Colin Ramsey are going to the uh, CDC and they find the body was like – a total mind fuck, like back to back. You know, going from like her dying oh, like, in Cole's right? arms, to like die. Cole, you know, and un- Cole before he's splintered at all, before any of this has happened, find the body. Get again, was just like, ah, you don't even know, you don't even know that you were there. You, you don't know you held her in your arms. <laughs> yeah, no, right, yeah. right, <laughs> right. That's,
2: I mean, it's interesting. That's another yesterday and tomorrow, like mindfuck, yeah. right? Like
0: Cole doesn't know he was fucking yeah. there, holding yeah, that exactly, corpse, exactly, right? <laughs> and then like Cole sitting on the floor with like her. Also, like, so he laid her, that position that she is in on the floor, like, he laid her on the floor like that because that's how he remembers her. So, like, him sitting there waiting to splinter, looking at her body, like, probably remembering what he's going to, you know, what what will have happened in 2043. Like, looking at her, like, re-experiencing that, like, oh, yeah, that was just a skeleton. And now it's, like,
1: yeah.
2: (laughs) Oh, fuck, and they're Damn it, Aaron! <laughs>
1: it's not just some woman. Said yeah, my exactly. Name. Yeah, like one oh, chick said my name. What? Some yeah, chick said my like, name. Oh man! Oh, man. Ah, yeah.
2: uh, dude, you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> um, you know the other, the other like emotional gut punch too when you watch *Ouroboros*. It, it connected to this scene is that before the first splinter, Cole was about to get in that chair without the fucking watch. Oh, Ramsey yeah. is the one. Ramsey's the one who takes it out of his pocket and he's like, So remember this? (laughs) Take this, right? And so the idea of the watch and how central that is and how it will take on this meaning of Cassie being like, You know, as long, like, and Cole, like, as long as you have this, we'll like always find our way back to each other and that it's his brother who was the one that handed it to him. Uh. (laughs) Oh. I may just need to, like, go walk off this podcast now. <laughs> oh, <my God.
1: laughs> oh, oh, so, um. Hard stop. The episode just cuts like off. Like,
0: <laughs> we can't do this anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I think that
2: brings us to the end, right? Like, because yeah. we already talked about the big Cole and Ramsey, you know, the big fight, which is mm-hmm. going to. It's going to lead to the the big epic showdown um,
1: in Shonen. I saw that uh, we did skip, just real quick, um, Jennifer's little moment. Oh, yeah. very, yeah, very yeah, small, yeah. but also very emphatic. Very important. And oh, huge yeah. I'm so glad you remember that.
0: Yeah. I do love, I like, it hit me this time. The first time you're watching that, you're just like, whoa, what the hell? And then also you don't know. <laughs>
1: crazy <what> you, Jennifer. <laughs>
0: crazy Jennifer. Well, and then also there's, like, like, you don't, there's still that possibility that she's, like, involved in the 12 monkeys and you know that moment i was like oh my god is she the one who starts it you know whatever but um Mm -hmm. uh but i noticed this time you know listening to what she says when she's saying like it's not you know the fathers did this but not for their sons for their daughters like in the context of of sam being the kind of like the the kind of emerging is the motivator for Ramsey is the reason that um that everything happens that we have a sort of prophetic moment from Jennifer and the perfect way that prophetic moments from Jennifer are always like like in that Cassandra way it's like where only in retrospect do you see how like what was prophetic about it um where she says like not for the sons but for the daughters that moment of like 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 Sam will never be Sam is never the answer. You know, Sam will never inherit anything. Mm. Um, it's, it's always gonna be Hannah. It's always gonna be, but then on the other hand, it's also like, like Cole becoming the son of, of Hannah. Like, I don't know. It's just like, I had this moment of realizing, like, interestingly, I think in the show kind of throughout the way that like sons are a dead end. Always, you know, mm. like Cole is the ultimate dead end. Um it's always daughters who are Even
1: Ethan, he's even the wrong Ethan. one.
0: Even Ethan. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Even Ethan. Like sons are always a dead end. It's the future always lies with daughters. Um and with mothers. Especially if you think about sort of like Jones Jones as a mother and a grandmother like the reason that she that that's how Cole kind of like survives or or continues to exist at all. Um, but I thought that was kind of like one of those things where it's like only having watched the full run of the of the series does that this like weirdo throwaway what the hell is Jennifer on about stuff about like not for the sons but for the daughters does it really kind of like holy shit
2: <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, and also like just plot wise, it's the second time we've heard the daughters mentioned. Yeah, And it's mm-hmm. foreshadowing that we're going to be very soon meeting old Jennifer. Yes. um, And her daughters. So it's just like another example of the way they build in all of these little like – they're always – right? It's like every episode you can tell they were always thinking about what are they setting up? What are they setting mm-hmm. up for like what's coming around the corner?
0: And it really makes me wonder like which Jennifer is that? You know? Like – Yeah. How much does that Jennifer know? Because <laughs> like – Yes. I, you can't even yeah. tell. Um, I guess – Right, because – Oh, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Because that – I guess it depends – like we have
2: to, if you have to think about it, if you think about the point of origin they have to go back to, that Cassie in the CDC knows – so is yeah. that – what is that Jennifer now?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. We
1: don't – do we know yeah. what Jennifer that is? But
0: then again, like Well, once, that timeline gets changed. I was going to say, that gets – that it all kind of goes out the window as soon as – Yeah,
1: I don't think Jennifer is consistent in that loop. No, I don't think so either. Because we then, already know that, you know, with the Cassie thing, that's not exactly how it happened. And yes, we can watch it that way. And it definitely lands and it has impact. But I don't think this Jennifer is really even.
0: I think Why? she's probably gone – well, because, because the, the whole outbreak – origin shifts after 202. So, so it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I wonder how much that Jennifer knows, but it also is irrelevant to the ultimately where things go because that timeline will change. The But, right. but, but. Theoretically. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, however. Ah! Yeah. But however, yeah. But like, but Cassie knows,
2: but <laughs> yeah, like Cassie well, knows the end game. So does yeah. that, the details may differ, but does that Jennifer who's recruiting the daughters also know the end game? I
0: mean, like, it's Jennifer, so it's theory. entirely possible that she does. Like, who the fuck knows it's Jennifer, right? <laughs>
1: But she doesn't, like, I mean, you can you can watch it that way, but it's not that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I think you're right. Yeah.
2: Erin, thank you so much. Um, it was so fun to have you on for these two. We hope you'll come back because we've got, what do we have coming up? Like, literary references over the course of the show. We've got John Donne. We've got Emily Dickinson, Edgar Allan Poe. We've got Hamlet. So
0: there's a yeah. lot. There's a lot for you to break down, so we hope you'll come back. Of course, I will. I thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. I will come back anytime that you want me, either for uh, like just drop in, let's talk about this literary reference thing, or I think I'm supposed to come back some. I think I, I think I'm coming back for other episodes later in the room, yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't yeah, and ones.
1: let's be clear it's not the only reason we love you
0: oh no are you <laughs> kidding no I know I know it's not
2: you because make... you're a
1: literary professor
2: <laughs> <laughs> if that were a thing right <laughs> if it were you would be even if that wasn't a thing Aaron. <laughs> I
0: know but I have value beyond my profession yeah. you Absolutely. make our
2: brains you make our brains and sometimes our hearts hurt and that's why we love you <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right
2: that's right Um. so if folks are re-watching along with us Um, we will next be having our um, rewatch of episodes 110 and 111 Divine Move and Shonen so the big Cole and Ramsey showdown um, the return of Leland Goines and the beginning of Cassie's uh, darker character turn Um, and we'll be joined by the brilliant Selena Wilkin who is a wonderful writer over at Hypeable um, to discuss
0: those episodes so if you guys don't have anything else we'll see you soon See you soon.